I got really lucky. I forgot. It didn't occur to me until I was coming here. I was like, oh, scoot in and put your face by the mic. Yeah, I should have. You know, I should have said that. Would you like a Coke? No, Can I, I get... got a kidney problem, so I'm not allowed to drink right now. Or an ice water would be great. I hope you feel better. I'll get you Thank water. You. She's lovely. It's just great. She wants me to drink so bad. You know, like, I know. I love that. You know what? <laughs> in all this time, I've been dating girls going the exact opposite way. <laughs> I know. Right? Like a fool. What a, what a schmuck. So what's the kind of format? Um, General chatty. Awesome. That's perfect. There's not much. Awesome. Um, I assume we'll talk about the election a little bit. Sure. How do we not? Sure. And are you still doing this, the uh, podcast with Slavel? Yeah. Okay, good. Because <laughs> he was supposed to be on last week. Oh. But then I wussed out and was like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I'm just going to jabber for a second. Sure. Um, and then I'll introduce you. Sure. Sounds good. I've prepared nothing for today. So uh, well, you're I, going to have to carry me. That's fine. Well, right. we know, I've known you a long time. We know we, you know pretty much everything I've done. It's, it's a short list. You've been there for it all. <laughs> As you with me. <laughs> Hey, everybody, welcome down to another edition of Dive Bar Mitzvah. Hey, it is me, your pal, Ian. Um, opening disclaimer, the host of Dive Bar Mitzvah today, me, mildly intoxicated, kind of drunk. I, I And I hate to break any illusions that you might have, dear listener, but I use, usually when I do this, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say sober as a judge, but I'm usually pretty cogent. You know, I, I mean, after years of doing uh, drinking with Ian, I realized, you know, I realized real quick, don't get hammered. You know, it's not good for you. It's not good for the audience. And when you have to watch that episode, you know, as it's getting edited and in the future, you just look like a fucking moron. So you know what? Maybe lean back. So usually when I did, we'd do like four episodes of Drinking with the End of Night, and I would have maybe two beers. I'd pace them through a whole night. It would be fine. I've carried that tradition over to Dive Bar Mitzvah, where I, uh, I try not to get too hammered. And I'm not too hammered, but I got hammered in an interesting spot today. I just left the airport. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, well, geez, Ian, what, what far off distant locale have you been at? Uh, nowhere. I hosted uh, the launch, the grand opening of the Stone Arch uh, Bar, and it was great. Um, they have nothing but craft beer from around Minnesota, um, and they hadn't done anything yet, so they invited me down to, for their grand opening. We had uh, some beer from Insight, Indeed. Everybody was there. It was great, and all the people who were there had won a contest to be there. And um, ooh, there she is. Jesus, that's a loud glass right there. Um, but yeah, everybody who had been there had won a contest to be there, and it was nothing but free beer and, and food for everybody. It was spectacular. And it was especially free beer for me, and I drank a lot of it. And, you know, it's easier to drink when you're on a microphone when you're chatting, Brian Miller, than it is to actually eat. You know, like, I can't eat a burger while I'm doing it, but I can take this beer down uh, one at a time. And, and I did it. It was, it was the first gig I've ever done at the airport, and I think probably the first gig anyone's ever done at an airport. As far as a hosting capacity, it doesn't get brought up very often, but I was, I was thrilled they asked, and it was a hoot. And I hope they have me back. And next time you're walking through the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport and you got time to kill, stop by Stone Arch. Uh, get yourself uh, uh, some of the uh, craft beers they have there and, and get good and drunk like I am. It'll make the flight go by real quick. Or if you're arriving, get drunk there. It'll make the, the, the taxi ride on the way back. Or if your parents are picking you up, shit flies by. You know, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. A lot of people come in here to town. By all means, get hammered at Stone Arch. Uh, and it's great stuff. In the, in the food is, is spectacular. Second to none. Um, and I'm sitting here talking about indulgences like an asshole uh, because today's guest cannot indulge. Uh, right now, unfortunately, uh, because we are now becoming men of a certain age. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. Um, because he was telling me about his malady yesterday, and I was like, oh, I had that happen to me. 
Like I could actually, you know, I, like ten years ago, I would have been like, you know, it "Sucks, Grandpa." I don't know what to tell you. Now I can actually send people links about stuff. Uh, but we'll get to that later, ladies and gentlemen. He's a great comic, uh, an old friend of mine, and also was a member of Drinking with Ian. I just realized that right now. Um, you played the mailman. Yes, <laughs> I was a writer at the tail end. Yes, yes, you were. You might know him as Joe the Policeman from the What's Going Down episode of That's My Mama. Sorry, that's a coming to America reference. I thought I could squeeze in there. It didn't work. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, Brian Miller. Thanks for being here, Brian. Yeah, how's it going? Yeah. Going good. Yeah, it's funny. I, I told you about my malady, and then your response was to send me some sound medical advice yes. from the internet that you because yourself have followed. I'm not an asshole. <laughs> I, I have a friend in need. I'm not a friend with weed, but I'm still a friend indeed. And I, I came through. Like, yeah, I... Uh, um, I had uh, kidney stones. This is a horrible, bad thing to talk about. I mean, it's not, it, it, it's not that it's bad as it, it's unpleasant. It's bad as in who gives a fuck. Like, nobody yeah. gives a shit about me. Um, but, and yeah, and I, apparently I had them because I was eating too many peanuts. I would just, you know, late at night when I'm editing or dicking around, I didn't eat chips. I thought chips were bad. Chips are, you know, deep fried. Can't have that. So I'd eat dry roasted peanuts. Get one of those big ass uh, plastic containers of them from you Target. The planters? You get the planters ones? No, I went for, I went for Market Pantry from oh, Target. Market because pantry, Yeah, because yeah. I'm classy like that. And I would just take <laughs> down one of those containers, you know, every couple weeks and, you know, get more. And I figured healthy, healthy thing to do. Legumes. What's yes. wrong with that? Or that's a bean. No, but peanut. peanut is a legume. It's okay. not a nut. That's it. This is good. And, and Brian also knows many things about many things. That we'll also <laughs> be talking about a bit. I uh, woke up one day and it felt like I'd been hit in the back with a baseball bat, which was horrible. And then I went to the doctor and they're like, well, how long has this been going on? And I'm like, about 20 minutes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like it, it would never go on for long enough to be significant. Yeah, like, once this gonna, happens, I'm in. I'm, I'm definitely going to go to the doctor guy. Exactly. I'm I, not. I mean, yeah. I am when I'm in a, a shocking amount of pain. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, do you have people who often come in here who just put this off? For six, seven months, I mean, that ain't me, man. Yeah, no. I am a wuss. And I'm not like I'm not a, a hypochondriac, and I don't like going to the doctor. But as soon as something hurts, my thought is, how much worse is this going to hurt in 48 hours? Yeah, I better get on this now. Exactly. Um, and you never hear about people who die because they went to the hospital too soon. No, <laughs> no, they're like, oh, we, we all have friends and relatives who, like, you know, like, oh, I don't know, he had this weird spot on him, and two years later he was dead. Oh, he yeah. just didn't feel like going to the hospital. Like, yeah, you, you, you should have gone to the yeah. hospital. She had her mammogram on time. Unfortunately, she had it in June. If she only would have had it a little later, they would have caught it a exactly. little later. Never happens like that. They got to catch it at stage two or it doesn't count. Yeah. So um, so you're just drinking water like a good boy. Mm -hmm. I, like an idiot, I'm saying, hey, I'm kind of hammered. I walked in immediately went for a PBR from our more than marginally attractive uh, bartender here. And I should tell you where we are. We're at Adrian's Tavern, a place I have never been before. It's right next door to Pepito's, a place I have been before. I think that's why I haven't been here before, I realize. You've because over at if I happen to be in this neighborhood, that's where I would wind up. And I've, I've done some shows there. And I've walked past, and I went, that looks fine. And they have a big mural painting of a burger and fries. I think they take their burgers seriously here. It smells like the real deal. I'm happy to be here. Um, it's yeah. kind of dead. This is awesome. And uh, the, the beers are priced to move. And yet again... And, and, and not to say that this is a scruffy place, but I think definitely think that relative to the room, the bartender looks spectacular. She looks really good. Um, yes, she grinned at my beverage choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and she did something adorable. I, uh, I, I think the, my PBR was three seventy-five. Mm -hmm. I gave her five bucks, mm -hmm. and I walked away. Yes. And then she find she she followed me, and she was like, "Here's your change." I'm like, "Oh, that's adorable. That, that's a tip, huh?" That's, yeah. That's totally here. You can you can have that. Do what you like. You have to give her an extra dollar just for bringing you the change. Back. I know. I was like, yeah. Now I'm getting in. Now I'm getting in too deep. But it's real nice here. We're located right by the ATM and the pull tabs. All right, yeah. by the golden tea and right the Avengers. Uh, I, I used to have that Avengers game on Sega Genesis. Oh, the Captain America, the Avengers. Uh huh. Oh, that's a classic. Yeah, that's and, a good one. And we're right by a stairway that I found out goes to the bathroom. 
the bathrooms are shady uh, and they smell horrible. But it's you know, but it's a, but this is a real fucking dive bar, and it was listed as one of the top dive bars by City Pages a couple years ago. And I was doing some research about it. But this is the real deal. It's great. Don't let my uh, my, my trash talking in the bathroom scare you off. Because, Out of curiosity, on yeah. the scale of what, where is it on the one to ten? Ten being the bathrooms at uh, Spring Street Tavern in the basement. I think that then maybe that's a nine. I'm sure there's a worse one on the Spring Street scale. The you're greeted by a fragrance as you walk down the stairs, which is off-putting. Um, Before you even get to the bed, if, if we're if we're calling the spring a nine, I'd put this at a six. Okay. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, but it's a dive bar. And uh, there's this adorable uh, dad and daughter sitting over there right before you got here. And he let her go down there by herself. Wow. And I'm like, you know what? There are some things you might have to explain to her because this is unpleasant. But I don't know what kind of house they live in. I like the Spring Street, but the bathroom there, I always thought, smells like a porta potty in a dysentery clinic for catfish. <laughs> it is it is really, really unpleasant. But that's the good thing about the Spring Street. There are a number of great things about the Spring Street. This sure. is one of them. Uh, is that the women's room is pretty poorly marked. So mm-hmm. if it's dead, you can totally go in there and pee. Um, and if anybody gives you a hard time, they're just like, oh, man, my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then they look at you and go, you, you're fucking Ian. You're here all the time. You know better than this, you asshole. I'm like, yeah, okay, all right. I use the women's rooms at Grumpy's almost exclusively. Oh, yeah. Well, Grumpy's downtown? Yeah. Because they're, they're, it's a locked door. It's Dude. a one-off. Oh, man. I have gotten, I've gotten no... No shortage of shade from ladies sitting in line, and when I walk out, because there's no line when I get in. Yeah. But then when I turn around, and like you know, five minutes later, there's a line, and because there's two women's room and there's one men's room, and the men's room is just horrible. It has a prison toilet. It's it is. There, and I love Grumpy's. Have you ever seen the movie Shaft with uh, yes. Samuel L. Jackson? That oh, the one? remake. The with remake. Christian Bale. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Exactly. I have. Uh, there's the there's the one where um, and what's his name? The guy who plays the bad guy. Uh, he's Christian Bale. No, no, Jeffrey oh. uh, Jeffrey uh, J- uh, Wright. Not, Jeffrey Wright. Exactly. Yes. He's like the bad guy, and there's a point where he's pooping and making eye contact with Christian Bale. That's exactly what it's like at Grumpy's downtown. And Grumpy's, you know, I mean, for. For bars that I go to, I would put it in a higher echelon, but that bathroom is a problem. But they have a second, you know, separate freestanding women's room. And, like, why would anyone go to the men's yeah, room? Yeah, there's like, two just, of them, too. Yeah, exactly. So you're not screwing anybody over by using it. At least that's what I tell myself. Well, it's a locked door. It's a yeah. one-off. You're not going to you're I'm not, not, gonna inadver- I'm not, I'm not looking to inadvertently uh, walk in on anything. I'm not a... Uh... No, this is not, not an act. Of, this is not an act of perversion. This is an <laughs> act of opportunity. Yes. And, you know, I mean, if I'm going to pee, I'm going to pee in private. Yeah. Um, and Brian, uh, and, and, and thank you for doing this today. We yeah. just put this together, and it is uh, these are uh, trying times in America. Yeah, I would say th- this, this. I would compare this current time in America to the Spring Street bathrooms. <laughs> this is a nine on, <laughs> on, on, on how bad things stink. Uh, great analogy, nicely done. This is why we asked you here today. How you doing? Yeah. Oh, no problem. That's the, that's the nice bartender walking away. This is I took a week off, and I rarely do that because you know that's not right. You don't want to do that. You know you have to you have a reputation. You have to uphold. Absolutely. When you say you do it weekly, you do it weekly. Um, especially after I took like six months off, then I was like, well, you know, I'll do it weekly again, and it lasted for over a month, and then I took one off because I after the ooh, Pac-Man um, after the uh, results were announced, I was for about two minutes like I just was going to quit everything. Yeah, like, was, I'm not doing a podcast. I'm not going to host shit anymore. I do not want to make anyone laugh or enjoy themselves because that would be a lie and untrue to me. Yeah, like I, I had a brief time where I'm like, I'm only going to do comedy 
for minorities because <laughs> I don't want to see. I was literally walking down the street after the election. I would see, and I spoiler. I don't know if this uh, a visual cue for anybody. I am a white guy. Uh, I was literally looking at every white guy with deep suspicion. Yeah, you know, like I feel like I was looking at every white guy the way I can only assume like a guy from Kentucky looks at someone in a turban behind them in line at an ATM. Yeah. You know, I was like, it's probably you. It's probably you. <laughs> Um, and uh, I was like, I don't want to make any white guys laugh. They don't deserve it. No, I know. Yeah. We're taking away the laughter for four years. I, and because uh, and, and I, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't think I could fake it. And I, I was just like, what? What is there? I mean, what's the fucking point? Yeah. And the next morning, Wednesday morning after the election, I was supposed to do a podcast with uh, somebody who you co-host a, a podcast with, uh, a comedian by the name of Tim Slagle, yeah, yes. who, you're, uh, who uh, the listeners are hopefully undoubtedly uh, familiar with. Uh, he's great. He's spectacular. But he's a libertarian, um, and, 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 which isn't a slight to him, but his, his uh, Facebook politics often go to the I told you so school. Sure. And I was not in the mood. I am not a violent man. I am no good in a fight. I am useless, but I was not like, you know, I do not need to be hung over after both with booze and the reality of the situation looking at somebody going, "I can't punch Tim. I love Tim, but if he if you if he if he rubs if he rubs my nose in it, I'm going to be pissed." You basically knew that you weren't responsible enough to have a civil conversation. Exactly. It wasn't on him, it was on you. And I ended up talking to Tim for something different like that morning, and he could not have been Lot more fine about it. I mean, you know, it, he, this has nothing to do with Tim. This has to do with my fear of the outside world and having to deal with reality. I uh, I was drunk for literally two days, starting at about five thirty uh, on election night. I had a bad feeling. I started okay. drinking early. I did, yeah, okay. I had just had, it. and then uh, of course, then when it peaked, uh, you know, around eight thirty, when it was like, when it was clear that if, if you if followed much about it, you knew, you knew this is things pretty were going much well. it. This yeah. is pretty much it. So I went for a long walk and I bought a pint of whiskey and <laughs> then I constitutional. Yes, and I and I and I drank that pint of whiskey and I wandered around my neighborhood like a like a maniac. Yeah. And I just kept drinking all the way through and then I did a podcast with Bob Sansevier um, on Wednesday and I came in and they asked the first thing to Bob said was how are you and I said I'm still quite drunk and everyone <laughs> laughed and no one still believes me that I was drunk of the whole podcast yeah uh, and, and even then, with but, the malady huh yeah and the, oh this was I think what might have okay. brought on said okay. malady all right yeah uh, it turns out because the Acme anniversary party had been two days before this yes, yes. so there had been a, a day of bacchanalia in yeah. a positive way with some of the best comedians you can find it was world. amazing it was yeah. so great and so I, I did that and then I had Monday as like a nice sort of chill ease it off day. And then, holy smokes, to Tuesday, Wednesday. And just because I wasn't drunk all day Thursday doesn't mean I wasn't, you know. Yeah. In that vicinitoire. I did a different school because uh, there was, speaking of the spring, um, there was a, a viewing, uh, like a watching party for the election results mm -hmm. that Robert Burrill was hosting. Oh, yeah. And sure. somebody, you know, Facebooked me like, Ian, why aren't you here? And it was still when things looked fine. Sure. But I like to drink for a reason. Ah. And I don't want my... Happy drunk to be kidnapped there in the middle in an awkward, you uncomfortable cross the streams, way. basically. Exactly, and yeah. I couldn't have because that's happened before where everything's going great, you're drunk, you're happy, and then shit goes wrong, and then it's just like fight or flight, and it's just going to put me in the worst mood ever. So I waited for things to get bad, and then I think I hit last call at Grumpy's Northeast and just was like, you know, commiserated with people. But at that point, I knew what I was getting drunk for. Like I didn't. Sure. I yeah. mean, and, and it's a, it's a weird esoteric, and it's kind of hard to explain. But I just didn't. I you know I didn't. It's like drinking like after an injury. Like it's just it, the pain isn't going to go away. You're just going to be in pain and drunk. Yes. And I wanted to know that walking in. You don't want a two-phase drunk. In fact, you could <laughs> argue that was why the election was so painful. Was we thought we were getting into it for one thing. Yep. 
And, and it, it, you know, the, like Bush Gore was closer. We've had closer no, no. elections. I didn't think I, I didn't think they'd wrap it up that night. I figured I this would be either. something that would go until January. I thought it was going to go for at least another day or two. But but um, I, I certainly, even though I didn't think and it maybe was, it should have. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that close. And so no. uh, it was the most surprising. I mean, I think Trump's own people, if you remember, like the interviews early on at like five thirty, mm-hmm. they were already pretty conciliatory. Yeah, they were already like, well, you know, hmm. uh, everybody was like looking for other jobs and everything. Of course, they were shocked. Well, everybody was shocked. That was the script everybody was following. Everybody was like, you know what? I mean, because nobody. I mean, I didn't think that, that Trump even wanted the job. This is all just. This is just a. Book I still tour. don't think it was he just does. a book tour for him. And when you saw him give the uh, uh, the exception acceptance speech, a bit prematurely, but it was still an acceptance speech. You saw. I mean, I saw a look of surprise on a man. I mean, I, and I he, couldn't watch it. I, I, well, I, I saw it. I then. saw it. You know, on mute in the mm. corner with a bunch of people oh, sure. staring at it and screaming at it. While I was just kind of hanging out in the corner, holding to myself. But I mean, I was just like, this guy is a is a professional. I mean, he he does television for a living, more or less, mm. and he knows how to hold himself. And that man is not is was not expecting, nor is he happy to be there. His body language when he met with Obama looked like, oh man, yeah, oh no. This is I'm a problem. Here now. And actually, I think that's because is... we called his bluff. Yeah. That's what we did as a country. We chose to, mm-hmm. to like, oh, you're so good at this. Well, then do it. He had no intention to ever do this. No. He didn't intend to make it out of the primaries. I think that's why he's so dangerous is is not that he is going to be this firebrand demagogue necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he will get pouty and weird. Yeah. But um, I, the problem is people don't, people, even like libertarians, are like, oh, we just want nobody at the wheel. That'll be better. It's like, here's the thing there's a power vacuum and there's a mechanism for things to get done. Yeah. Someone will fill that. And if yeah. you have somebody at the, at the wheel not paying attention, it's not like good people are going to rush in to fill those spots. No, not at That's all. That's not how it works. Um, it seems you ever, you ever worked at a job and like when you were like a low level dude and like you liked it because your boss was like really lax. Like you could get high in the freezer yeah, 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 yeah. or you could fool around with the waitresses or whatever your thing was. But you can look back on that and you're like, yeah, but that was a terrible organization. Yeah. You know, it was a terrible boss. Like a good boss is usually a bad boss. Exactly. Until yeah, you yeah. have an investment in the company. Yeah, if you want to get shit done, I mean, there's a reason that there's people holding whips and people getting whipped because yeah. things have to move forward. The ship has got to go a certain direction exactly. and we have to row in time. Damn yeah, it. yeah. We can't do this for good vibes and to make friends. No, you know, at the end of the day, shit has to get done. So this is what we're, this is what, this is the reality we had. And I had, I mean, yeah, and as I mentioned earlier a little bit, I had a hangover. It's, have you ever been to a party and you got really drunk and you told everybody off and you were justified? You knew exactly who you're telling off. You knew why they were, why they were getting told off. And this is shit you'd been stewing on forever. And you thought it through before you started telling everyone off. Mm. You knew that this was fine. Yeah. You were also drunk when you made that decision. But yeah. you knew this is fine. This yeah. actually needs to happen to move things forward. And uh, then the next morning you wake up and you don't think about the ramifications outside of the room. You know, you're like, okay, sure. this is this. I'm just going to burn this room down. Fuck everybody. But then you realize how much that's going to grow with time. I had that on a global level that morning. Like I was just laying there in bed just with this huge remorse this huge feeling of remorse like what have we gotten ourselves into yeah like 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 it's like the the just because just because the ball got pushed we have no idea where this is going to end up rolling to and it just seemed i just laid there at nine o'clock in the morning with a whiskey hangover going 
what the fuck do we do now? And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm taking notes. Because here's, I made a mistake. I was like 19 when the Iraq War happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, hey, I'm not, I, I know I'm not that old. I know I don't know that much. But this seems like a patently bad idea. Yeah. For this reason, that reason, and the other reason. No doubt. And um, and then a lot of people said, no, this is going to kick ass, right? And then we did it. And mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you watch the news much for 15 years, uh, it didn't really kick ass. No. And uh, then, but about, around, if you notice this, around 2010, 2011, it became very common and casual for people to be like, oh, yeah, the Iraq War is a bad idea. Bush was a bad president. Mm -hmm. The very people who voted for him yep. and were very enthusiastic and about were it. arguing the exact opposite yep. years previous. Right. And I never got my Iraq War apology letter. I never got like an edible yeah. arrangement. Yeah. I yep. never I never got one humble, yeah, nope. you were right. And so you know what? This is the one thing that I can control is that if this is going to go tits up and when it does, I'm going to have screenshots and timestamp tweets for yep. some very specific I told you so. That's a good that's a good plan. I mean, and the thing that always ticked me off about the, well, you know, the one thing that really angered me about George W. Bush. No, <laughs> the top of the list, or at least conversationally the most prudent thing to bring up, is that, you know, the 80s, you know, and I assume that what I was going through that Tuesday morning laying in the fetal position in my bed um, was a lot the same thing that people were going through in 1980 when Reagan got elected. Or when because Nixon got elected, maybe. Too. Yeah, well, even that. But, I mean, but Reagan, you know, just some B-list actor. Right. Like, what the fuck did that happen for? Yeah, um, totally. But the 80s gave us... And I wouldn't say an unparalleled time, but definitely an amazing time of music and art. Mm -hmm. Here in the United yeah. States, we hit pretty hard in the in the eighties. We did damn good. A lot of great movies. And I was excited when George W. Bush got elected because, well, since the end is near, the band will play on and we shall yes. dance. And it didn't. I thought I, I don't remember That's a goddamn a thing point. happened during the Bush legacy that that led to an iota of everything other than just things getting more homogenous and more lousy. So I don't even have that fucking optimism that I had 16 years ago. That's a great point. It was kind of a bad art decade. It was. Go fucking figure. Right. I mean, obviously, there's you know there's a handful of bands and movies, but you oh, never, yeah, there's you always going to be exceptions to the rule. It wasn't like a movement like a, exactly. or a, a direction or exactly. something. Yeah, that's a great point. So that and hopefully, hey, prove me wrong, motherfuckers. Yeah. Someone but, uh, please. Yeah, but I mean, as it stands, it's just like I, I have nothing to really hold on to here. Other than, you know, it's just like, you know, it's another, you know, handful of revolutions around the sun. And by the time it's over, you know, hopefully in four years, you know, maybe we'll all then figure out what the hell we're doing. But it just didn't yeah. seem like anybody gave a shit the first time around with, with George W. Bush. And, and now it's just like, oh, God, is it going to be that again? Now I have to hear shitty music and oppression at the same time. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just it's ugh, I can't deal with it. Yeah, I need some I need some proto talking heads band to really come to their own. You know what exactly? About now. Exactly. Thank you. Apt comparison. Very apt. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, you do your own podcast with Mr. Tim Slegler. Mm -hmm. It's called Rule of Three. Yep. Um, when I was doing some research for Tim, when I was thinking I was going to have him on a podcast, I just did a Google image search, mm -hmm. and the logo for Rule of Three came up. It's a good looking logo. Yeah. It was designed by me. Oh, nice. I totally forgot I did it until I was looking at the Google image. I did, results. I'd like, forgotten that you did oh, it as well. I did that. So tell me about that. Uh, it's, it's 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 really it's Tim. Tim's idea, and I, I'm just kind of the willing, willing co-host. Because you're, you're like kind of his uh, his counterweight. Because yes. he's going to have his direction. He's going to go in. You have your direction. You're going right. to go in. And we we do try to find to find the middle on stuff. Okay. Yeah, but we, so it was Tim's idea was interesting, which is that most podcasts have a tendency to kind of be formless and stretch on for too long. Yep. And then he thought it was ultimately going to go to some sort of service where there would be podcast segment aggregates. There'd be a radio station. You hear a little of snippets of podcasts. Yeah. So he said, well, "Let's get out ahead of it. Let's do a podcast." That's Three's, really smart. Yeah, he's a smart dude. Three segments, ten minutes each. You can listen to the three, obviously straight through. It's mm -hmm. just a half hour. It's yep. about the time of a commute, so yep. it's, it's always a podcast you can basically listen to in one trip. The drive from Minneapolis to St. Paul, absolutely. Or it could potentially be broken into three shorter segments that could be played on an aggregator. Yep. 
Um, so we do we usually do one politics segment, one pop culture segment, and one kind of comedy life mm-hmm. segment. Sometimes just life life yeah. segment, little auto bio. And I'm sure, I mean, because Tim's been in the game, uh, what, since like early 90s. It's uh, got to be. At least. Yeah, well, you know. No, for, really. For well, he, here's the thing. He's a 20, he, we did the Acme I love how I didn't have Tim on the podcast, but we'll basically have a Tim Slagle yeah. podcast well, without him. 20, 25 years, Acme anniversary. He was working at Acme the first year. Oh, no shit. Sure. So he's been Acme for at least 25 okay, years, wow. so 91, but, yeah. you know, that was when he started, so he probably started in the late 80s. But, I mean, he has to be an interesting person to kind of talk shop with with something mm-hmm. like this, because, I mean, you know, he... He was in the trenches for a lot of this stuff. Yep, he's got a lot of perspective on comedy. Um, he's talked about cl- he's, there's clubs that he went from MC to feature to headliner to band for eight years to now a regular headliner <laughs> at again. You know, it's like it kind of shows. I think I do think that's one thing I try to console myself with in, in general showbiz stuff is stuff does come in weird cycles. Yeah, you know, I mean, you might not quite be Ron White and get super famous when you're 50, which happened during Bush. Maybe this is I a good know. time for because Dane Cook too. Yeah. Maybe it's a good time to be the worst kind of comic, Brian Miller. Maybe this is maybe this could be maybe a that's my demographic. Hack it up, hey, hack it the fuck up. I, I got to do something. Yep. Uh, but I but yeah, you do if you stick around. Like it just comes in cycles. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, you, you Tim is a good example of a guy who was a dreadlocked, yep. hippie, drug taken weed comic. Yep. Who and he said he did the uh, comedy festival with Doug Benson when Benson was a suit wearing corporate comic. Oh really? I and never knew that. He okay. introduced Benson at the Acme Twenty Five, and so now. He's the libertarian comic in a tuxedo, and Benson comes out reeking of weed yeah, yeah, in a yeah, hoodie. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So it's like, you know, well, you stick around long enough, things come back around in weird directions. Find your demo. Find yeah. your demo. And actually, I have you on, on, on just a bit of time tonight because you have to run to the joke joint a little later uh, because you're getting your tape together, huh? So you're Working get- on it. I've been dragging my feet, and uh, I have a... Uh, and and, and to, to people who are not familiar with the, uh, the comedy world, uh, explain. Yeah, but so basically, you're... And this is a specific tape. This is a late night tape. Exactly. So, Somebody who's already done late night. You were on the Craig Ferguson yep. show. And I haven't, it's been a, quite a long time since I've been on late night. Um, it's too bad he didn't hold the gig longer. It would be, it'd sound more I was current. literally in talks did, to if, get back on it. Because if you did if you did Carson in like 19, what, 65, you should still say in 1985 you did Carson and people yes. would be like, holy shit. And I was, since you did Craig Ferguson. He quit yeah, right away. Yeah, right and it's right like, it's like people are, yeah. 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 But I, and I was literally in talks with their guy to uh, do another one. Yeah. And then he left and like they don't you know, they don't carry that stuff of over. Of course. Yeah. They have a whole new book or a whole new transition everything. team. Yeah. But um uh, so what you, what you kind of wind up doing is when you're trying to get, uh, say, on Conan or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you make a tape, and it has to be timed exactly the way your set would be timed, and it has to be worded pretty much exactly. Yeah. You can't, you know, they don't want you to see it with three fucks in it, you know? Exactly. Because, like, hey, you can't say that on Conan, so what, what is it you're going to say? The people with the money don't need imagination. No, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it, it is fair, too, because they're like, well, like, well, how do we know it's not... It's not twenty percent less funny when you take those three fucks out. Like yeah, we yeah. want to see it like it is. Exactly. And so, uh, it, but it, the thing about it, it's so hard to make a tape. It shouldn't be, but it just it, you have to have a good set and mm-hmm. you have to do it right. But then you can't have anyone in the audience interrupt you. You know, because if you have to go back and forth with somebody for ten seconds, or a waitress drops a giant tray of glasses and now you got to address it. Yeah. Well, now you're now you're kind of screwed. You know. Yep. They want it to be real clean, and so it, it becomes not only the difficulty of paring it down a late night set, which is tricky, but then capturing it. Exactly. And, and of course, in, the, in front of the in front of the right hot in front audience. Of the right hot audience. You need to have a you know. And people will tell you, oh, you don't need to have that hot of an audience. It's like, yeah, Bullshit. it helps. Yeah, a yeah lot. it ain't gonna. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, then you can just do it in your apartment. It's not gonna fucking yeah, work. Yeah, and it has so it has to be so many different things. And uh, so yeah, I'm gonna. Which work is on odd that. since you already did late night. I mean, how did you get lucky enough to do Craig Ferguson then if you didn't have a tape? Um, that was just such a total wonderful fluke. I was at Acme doing a show. The, the, the lineup was me opening for Cy Amundsen and Anthony Jeselnik. Okay. And Jeselnik had just come off the Mike Tyson roast. Like, literally, it had aired on a Saturday, and Jeselnik came in on, like, a 
oh, Wednesday wow. okay. or yeah. something. Sold out every show. It was super hot show. And, and Jesen, like, I was in the back, and, and then we heard Ferguson was going to come in to watch the show on Saturday. He Who was in thought? town. What was he even in town for? He was yeah, in town yeah. to work Mystic, and he was only doing early shows. Oh, okay. So he wasn't, and so he's like, oh, i got a late show. I'm hanging out with Chad. I want to go. Chad Daniels. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, let's go somewhere. So Chad says, oh, you should go to Acme. I didn't, I didn't even know they were friends. Yep. I love it when friends of mine have famous friends they don't introduce me to. <laughs> so, they, so Chad sends... Uh, Ferguson over there, and I'm in the back, and I'm just emceeing, and I said to Jesen, like, something like, oh, this is really cool, but, like, I mean, whatever, you know, I'm yeah, just the MC. Yeah, yeah. And Jesen, like, was a really, really nice, very polite. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a, a person good story guy. I don't know. Yeah, he's a really good guy. I mean, he's got this really aggressive, mean persona, comedic persona, which is very funny, mm-hmm. but, like, he is a, it's a real good guy. Um, not a bullshitter, very serious, you know, he knows he's funny, and he knows he's smart, but he's yeah. a real gentleman about it. And he said, you know, man, said, you never know. He said, I was in a club one time, kind of newish. Jimmy Kimmel happened to be there. I did a set. He said, you should do mine. He said, you should just treat this like an audition. You should do this. Yeah, and he right. gave me some tips. And he just, he's just he does, who cares if you're MC? Just do it. Do this. Yeah. And he talked me into it kind of gently but firmly. And so I was like, all right, I am. Because I, I think you would have done the same thing I would have done. You would have you would have almost stepped back to let the main comic shine because that's kind of your job as the host. Yeah, and then also felt like... But the successful people are the ones who will just cut a motherfucker. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a whirl. And um, so I, I did. And then, you know, he left early and I didn't hear... You know, he left before the show was over because mm-hmm. it was, you know, crowded and everything. He yeah, wanted to get out. And um, he was really cool. He and my wife were talking about Kurt Vonnegut in the green room oh. for a while. Um and uh, then, like two days later, or three days later, I'm at my keyboard, computer keyboard, writing an article. I'm typing, and I get a call, and it's this guy, and like, "Hey, I'm from the Ferguson show. You just want to come do the show?" And I was like, <laughs> "Spectacular!" It was just so. It's a random like, thing to get, yeah. What? And then I, and the guy was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "So you mean to send me a tape?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he goes, "Well, do you mean it's like a ten minute tape?" And you guys will pick. And he goes, "No, no, Craig, want you on the show? Just send us what you're gonna do." And I was like, I, and I wanted help. Yeah, I wanted. I wish I would have had a little more help. Because be you're, because I mean, how long were you doing comedy at that point? Under three years. So that's that's. I mean, while, a, so while three years can take a long time, that's still that's still People young don't in the life. Like in comedy, you're almost not even remotely qualified to be on stage for five years. Exactly. Um, and so, luckily, you know, Chad Daniels helped me a lot. Tim Harmson helped me a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, Lewis helped me. Yeah. But Chad and Tim especially helped me with the the material part of it. Um. And uh, it was great, you know. It was a great experience, but it was very fluky, and you know, it's so I didn't. It, a lot of people get on TV because they get a manager. You get one TV spot, then your manager gets you more TV yep. spots. You know, so I didn't have any show. I, I did this thing, and I still didn't have any showbiz connections yeah. at all. Like I was just some dude. Uh, it was very strange. That is odd. Yeah, um, but it was great. That, yeah, but I mean now, but at least you have that success in your pocket, so you can kind of treat something like this as like you know, hey, that'd be great if I could do that again. Yeah, I would say it's one. Of, there's a few things that I've done that I'm like, you know what? When no matter what, and all said and done, if my career never goes much farther or whoever, whatever happens, like I did that, and that's a cool. Exactly. thing. Opening for Dave Chappelle at First Avenue. I'm oh, like, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That, that's something that just like anybody's like, oh, were you really a comedian? Well, I opened for Dave Chappelle for two shows at First Avenue. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And, you, and I was I was at one of those shows, and you were fucking great. Oh, thanks. It was so fun. Well, but God, I mean, I, see, I don't know if I could have fun in a scenario like that. I would be, I mean, I would be so stressed out. I mean, and I spend a lot of time on stage. I spend a lot of time with Mike in my hand. Every time I get a little nervous, and to walk into a, uh, uh, I mean, the audience is going to be hot. Everybody's coming there to laugh. So oh, it's yeah. not like you got to convince anybody. But still, you know. White guy with glasses, like, I came here for Dave Chappelle. You know, yeah. like, I mean, you don't want to. That's... Well, and the crazy story about that was, um, this is kind of a bummer, but I was, uh, my cat was dying. I had a, a very beloved. That, that, that is a bummer. A very beloved, two cats. One of them, Buckminster Fuller, is still alive, but his brother, Garp, 
uh, had gotten stomach cancer, and we had a surgery, and the surgery wasn't working, and so we knew we had a limited time with him, and we had to clear all their furniture out of this room. So for a month, I slept with him on a sleeping bag in this room by myself every yeah. night with a sick cat. Yeah. And it was right toward the end. He had about three, four days to go, and we were going to put him down. And I was standing at the kitchen stirring some pasta sauce yeah. by myself crying. And I got a at about 5:30, and I yeah. got a phone call at 5:30 that night that said, "Can you be at First Avenue at seven o'clock for the Dave Chappelle Jesus. show?" So, I mean, I didn't really even think about what I was doing until the second show had started. It was that's because, insane. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's something I don't think a lot of people understand as audience members. Like, I mean, there's a real life. Like you know, there, you you have no idea what like this person you know is now on stage. I'll have you have no idea what was going on an hour ago. Like, yeah. What mind space there, and they just suddenly have to flip it on. Yeah. Especially for you, you know, just like minding your own business, going for what could be one of the biggest gigs of your of your career at that point. Yeah, and I, it was it was crazy. Like I just remember sitting in the green room and kind of I, I sort of managed to stop crying for a little while, but then I felt <laughs> really helpful. guilty for being there. And like my wife had the car, I had to call a taxi, I had to call three taxi companies and say the first person who gets here gets a forty dollar tip. I have to be at First Avenue right now. Jesus. And it was like a race to see which cab would get me. I mean, I got there with like I, I walked into First Avenue and was on stage twenty minutes later. I mean, I had no time. I hadn't shaved. I hadn't written a set. I just, I just, I kind of, I mean, I wrote a set on my hand in the cab ride. Yeah. I mean, it was nuts. But, I mean, that's that's a sign that you're an elite fighting unit, Brian Miller. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously. I mean, like, when the muscle memory kicks in yeah. and all the training starts popping in, I mean, that's you know, that's when you need it. And I to mean, me, that's the only way to do comedy. I'm not good enough at comedy to just, like, go by on talent. Like, I have to do it constantly, all the time. Okay, so, so you're saying you get rusty? I mean, I, I'm, I'm surprised yeah, to hear you say that. I feel like I get rusty faster than most people. Really? Yeah, okay. I feel like I just have to do it a lot. And uh, but But once you do it a lot... There's no situation like I'm. I'm so comfortable on stage. I'm sure. Hopefully, I will get more comfortable on stage. But like in terms of nervousness, like because how long? How how long are you right now? Like how about long eight have you been years? Doing? Just eight a little years? over okay. eight years. That's a good. That's so a good run. When I go on stage, I'm more comfortable on stage than off. Like when I think about, I get stressed. I have anxiety about comedy a lot. But it's never the stage part. Yeah. It's always like it's the traveling to the gig. How am I going to get from the airport to the there? What's the condo going to be like? What's the club going to be like? What the every all these things. The part that I never worry about is, well, okay, I'm going to have a mic in my hand for 25 minutes or 45 minutes. Exactly. I got that part. And I've, I mean, and it's different for us, but I mean, I've had to explain that to people in the past. Like, well, aren't you scared? Like, you know, hosting, you know, mm-hmm. some dumb, you know, block party or, or first half New Year's where there's a couple thousand people there. Like, wasn't that crazy? I'm like, no, it's easier to talk to like one big dumb mass of humans. So much easier. I mean, if heart, I have yeah. if I have to like talk to like five people I don't know, yeah. that's spooky. Th- that but I, mean, I have a hard but when, time. But I mean, yeah. I just call it like, you know, when you're dealing with crowds, it's like you're tickling the baby. You know, you just have to keep this one thing mildly entertained mm-hmm. while you're there and then you get the fuck out of the way. You know, like, you don't have to, it, it, and there's nothing more complicated about it. It's just basically just go there, make make, make the baby go, woo, you know, and that's yeah. basically what you're doing as a host would for me and then, then you get the hell out. I mean, there's no stress there at all, really. The bigger the crowd, the better. I mean, I know, I've done Probably the biggest crowd I've ever done. I don't know, twelve hundred people mm-hmm. or so. Um, so I've never. But done what you do is actual interaction. I just kind of like show up, you know, act like a doofus, tell people what the drink specials are. I'm off stage in like five minutes most right. of the time. I'm, yeah, but so. I'm sure if I was in an amphitheater and there was twenty five thousand or thirty thousand, it's not even that I would be more nervous. It's just that it, the bigger the crowd, you do have to start changing some stuff up and find yeah. a different rhythm. So it would be very challenging. But like, uh, unless you're talking about that absurd number, like if someone's like. You know there was going to be a hundred people. Now there's five hundred. I'm like, great, exactly. make it a thousand. Like, By all means. To me, up until as far as I can tell, at least a couple of three thousand. Just like the more, the easier. Exactly. 
You know, and like if, if you make half of the crowd of three thousand people laugh, it's loud as hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, there can't really be dissidents in a crowd of three thousand people. Yeah, they're you know, if, if one person thinks you suck out of three thousand, who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. But when you but the hardest shows always to me are the shows when there's fifteen people there. Yeah. When there's enough people that it is technically a crowd. <laughs> yeah. But where you're really looking individually at every face. And you have, yeah, exactly. You're reaction. making eye contact with everybody, and you're trying to win every one person yeah. over as opposed to just looking at it as, you know, making the baby happy yet again. You know, you know what it, it is, is it, in a weird way, it's like when there's a thousand people in the audience, you're a McDonald's. I got a giant coffee urn, and I'm just cranking out coffees. So that's yep. what I make. When there's 15 people, it's Starbucks. What do you want? What do you want? What do you that's want? What a, do that's you a want? very good analogy, yeah. Uh, and people can say, I just do what I do no matter what. And I I mean, I try to, it's not like I pander or change my opinions, but hey, you get up in front of 15 people and nobody's laughing, you're going to start bending in interesting ways yeah. to make it happen because yeah. it sucks. And you're talking about doing road work a little while ago. I mean, where where have you gone where you've, where you've continuously, or not continuously, where have you had, where have your worst shows been, Brian Miller? Yeah, I know it's, it's kind of a hacky well, yeah. question to ask a comedian, but I'm going to go there since yeah. they're kind of going that direction. You know, it's um, my worst show ever was in a place called Missouri Valley, Iowa, which is just on the other side of the Iowa border okay. uh, by Nebraska. Uh, right. That was me and John Conroy did it. There was a plague of frogs on the town, um, and so wait the, a second. Yeah, there's a plague of frogs. Like the ground was boiling with frogs to the point where when I was driving into the town, I was hitting so many of them that my headlights were pink from oh the blo- frog blood. This is this is a this is a biblical. This yes, is, this is an omen. Yeah, this and is Conrad will tell you this is not BS. We had to, and then we had to walk across this field from this interstate bar to our C-shaped motel, and we, we the field we walked across was teeming and boiling with frogs. So you couldn't not just constantly step on frogs of all different sizes. It's a fucking Christ. One story motel. You open your room to go in. The frogs are attracted to the light, so all of the course. frogs rushed into the thing. So I ended the night lowering the window and bailing the frogs out of my room with my note, comedy notebook with my jokes. Um, the bar was... Were you I, warned that this might be an issue? Or did no. you just drive in and go, hey, I, hey, did you see that frog? Yeah. Hey, there's three more frogs. Oh, my God, it's nothing but fucking frogs. No clue. I mean, it was just a gig I took from a guy named Scott Shields who has, yep. as far as I can tell, only the worst gigs in the world. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I got $100 for this gig, by the way. Uh, it was a five-hour drive. And over the course of it, oh, the, the bar was, I wouldn't say it was, they were okay with racism. Let's put it that yeah, way. There was yeah, a guy yeah. in the front with 88 tattoos who told me uh, that if I looked at his girlfriend, he keen his girlfriend came during the middle of the show, sat down in front of me and started having a full volume conversation. Uh, they came from the other room uh, to do that. And I didn't make fun of him. I said, hey guys, what's up? And the guy said, if you look to me, look at me or my girlfriend or speak to us again, I'm going to kill you. And he raised his sleeve and showed me his 88, which is a Heil Hitler tattoo. Oh, I thought you uh, meant he had, he had eight, like, like no, no, he, he has had, many tattoos as, as a piano does keys. No, no, so I, he has a tattoo much worse than that. It says 88. Which is okay, a, I had no idea that, that was a thing. That's a prison. Okay. That's a Nazi tattoo for prison. Oh, prison code. 88. And did you know that at the time? Yes. When you saw it? Okay. So H is the. I would Google later. Like, what the hell is 88 mean? H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. So 88 uh, is okay, HH, Hitler, which is Heil Hitler. Yeah, right. um, I knew that from Oz, I think. Okay. Uh, watching Oz. But um, And then there was a group of yeah, bikers. Let me see your from, arm right now. You knew that too fast, Brad Miller. <laughs> there was a group of bikers from Philadelphia. And one of them, at one point while I'm on stage, runs up to me and pulls his pants down, but just with his underwear on. So I'm just waving his butt at me and going, come and get it, big boy. And then Jesus. I made some joke about and like then, yeah I mean and this is after the frogs I mean, yeah so yeah, yeah already off already your game. in his headspace and then I so I say to the guy and we have no there's no stage and no lighting and we're using a wireless microphone oh, and an amp next to us oh, and I fuck. say something to the guy like yeah it looks pretty good to me maybe I will get or so I don't know what I said I made yeah, some yeah, yeah. trying to be kind of polite like joke or whatever and the guy gets super furious and turns around and says are you some kind of faggot. 
Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the, the bar, the uh, the bathroom was all torn up and plaster ripped out. All the fixtures, like somebody had really physically torn it apart. That would be a 10. Yes. <laughs> and I, I walk out of the bathroom, clearly looking a little disturbed. And the owner, the owner's response is, yeah, my nephew and his my nephew and his friends just got back from Iraq and them boys love to fight. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It was a, that was the worst show I ever did. Um that I yeah I I mean and God there's a, I can't imagine I mean you know hey knock on wood Hopefully, yes because that's a lot to deal with there was a lot I was very how are you gonna do worse than that physically See, concerned for my safety way, how could you possibly do worse I mean, than a plague of frogs and uh, weird Nazis the biggest weird crowd problem I had was actually a, a great New Year's Eve show with Kostaki Kanamopoulos who I work mm-hmm. with all the time but um this drunk asshole radio DJ who had horned in on dinner with me and my wife and Kostaki. We were just trying to have a good time and this radio DJ is hosting it and he's like, no, he's going to sit with us and crack us up. And so we just put up with this dude uh, all night, all evening long. He goes up to introduce me and then he kind of reads my credits, but he, you know, he knew I was a Vikings fan and his, and his this is where uh, this is somewhere in Wisconsin. I forget where it was a big room, 500 people in this giant hotel ballroom. Scotty, that's all I needed to know. And the guy says something to the fact this next guy coming up is blah, blah, blah. And he was on this. Also, he's a Vikings fan. 500 drunk New Year's Eve Wisconsinites. Boo, boo. And he goes, so when he comes up here, I want us to show him how we treat Vikings fans in Wisconsin. Can I get a go, Pat, go? Go, Pat, go. Go, Pat, go. Then he just sets the microphone down. He didn't hand the microphone to me or put it on the stand. Just sets it down on the stool, smirks at me, and walks off stage without shaking my hand. And I take the stage to like 500 people screaming, go, Pat, go. So... I take the mic, I look out at all these sea of drunk assholes, and I just kind of made a decision, and I said, are you guys still sore because your quarterback's gay? <laughs> and they're like, what? And I was like, oh, everybody knows your quarterback's gay. Olivia Munn, come on. We all know Aaron Rodgers is a sweetheart. Yeah. And I started teasing them, and people just start losing their minds. But they got so mad at me that I, like, burned it out of them yeah. in, like, 30 really? seconds. Okay. And then I just did a joke, and they laughed. It was oh. fine. See, that's not the, that's not the way I would have gone. I steered into the skid. I would have I ran into the the skid and just and had to deal with you know a very very painful forty five. Because minutes. by the way, I do not mind whether or not Aaron, what Aaron Rodgers, whoever he has sex with, but I knew they would mind very much. Yeah, so exactly. Like, and and more hit him where it hurts. Yeah, exactly. You don't mind pissing off a room full of people. That, yes. and, and that's a, and that's you know because the good Lord taketh and giveth. You know, yeah. I mean, you have to be able to you know pull back on the reins yeah. sometimes. I was not going to go up there and try to make people who are chanting at me like me by hey no. guys, come on guys. See, and I think, I, guys. See, I, I think in my worst fears, that's exactly what I would do. I think that there's enough wrong with me where I just want people to like me. God damn it! And if I'm th- and that's like an obstacle to me. Like I will okay, well that gives me something to work with. All right, you hate me this much. Well then I will turn into this big of a whore so you like me. I will do whatever you yeah. want. I'll come up here and start telling. And fart jokes. I don't give a shit. I'm a. I have a lot of inner rage and have a much hotter temper than people. I don't know if you. I. I. I, uh, I tried to hit a heckler with my car at Grumpy's one time. <laughs> <laughs> I. I did not know. Like that. he physically dove out of the way. Like I came real close. I. You know what? I did not know that. I threw a chair at Grumpy's and won somebody See, this one is why time. I like being comedy adjacent. <laughs> I know everybody, but I don't necessarily know all the dirt. Shit will go down on Facebook, and I'll read about it like two days later, and then I'll have to look up somebody's name and see what the hell was stuff being talked about. I'm never drug into this stuff, so when I hear stories like this, it hits me fresh and exciting. Sure, I've I've calmed down a little bit. These are my earlier days, you know, but uh, you know, I've got a pretty hot temper. Uh, I've tried been, to run a motherfucker over in the Grumpy's park. Yeah, I, got, I, I literally been sent to the green room by a manager of Acme and told me I'm not allowed to leave the green room because, like, I tried to, you know, get, I got a little punchy with somebody in the because somebody in the crowd was like being on hard. stage. No, off stage. Okay, so somebody you found the, a guy so, who somebody in the no, off, it wasn't what it was. Was somebody off stage was saying some homophobic shit to Tommy Ryman. Oh, okay. And when 
I don't mind if somebody jibes me. Like, I'm usually fine with it. But, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. when I see somebody do something like that to one of my friends, in like, a bullying I just, fashion. In a bullying yeah. fashion, like, that's one thing that I just have zero tolerance yeah. for. And I just went on. That's why, I mean, they, they weren't, they were very nice to me. And they were like, look, we know you're being a nice guy, but, yeah. like, we're running a business here. Get in there, sit down, calm down, no more beer. Yeah. And I wasn't drunk or anything. I was just, just pissed. Just rage. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. that, that temper flitch. So, you know. Well, I mean, how much, and I know this obviously was caught uh, by you before Acme would have caught it, but I mean, a lot of times that should be on the fucking room. Like, you should not have to be making nice with anybody. You should not be trying to chill anybody out, and you should not be trying to smooth things over. That's the job of the room, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and of course, that's the, the, the number one place where that stuff is taken care of. Yeah, of but course, yeah. But that's that, one of those things where you get, you know, you get 300 or 200 people at the bar after the show lets out, everyone's jostling around. You never, and, and I always say the worst things that people's, the worst insults I've ever gotten in comedy are, are almost always intended as compliments after the show. Yeah, because you when you're when you're in there telling jokes, you know, people respond in a lot of odd ways. Yeah, like they'll be overly enthusiastic about a self-deprecating joke you did. They'll like double down on yeah. your self-deprecating joke for you. Or I, I, one time I was uh, at, after I, I headlined Acme last December and I was I was feeling pretty good about my show. I had a good show, show and I was yeah. standing outside and I, I and I, these two ladies walked by. They didn't see me. I was kind of sitting up on the second the the yeah, kind of balcony the, level there, the little porch outside. Tier. Yeah, and uh, I heard this one lady turn to her friend and says. Man, that guy was funny. Man, that guy was funny. And I was like, good for me, you know? And the old lady goes, yeah, he was really funny, but I just hated him. <laughs> and there was no, and so now you're just going to spend the rest of your life wondering what it was. Because yeah, there was just, no explanation. No, she just hated me. I mean, you know. But she thought it was happened. funny. But it's funny. I told my wife that story, and I was a little mopey, and she said, wouldn't you have been much more upset if she would have said he seemed like a nice guy, but he wasn't funny? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah fair point. point. That's, that's yeah. sign you got yourself a good one there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian Miller, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to hang out with of us. Of course. And, yeah, I mean, I needed this amount of time to be able to discuss the, uh, the election. Because this is just, this is horrible. I, I don't feel panicked anymore. I feel resigned to inevitable decline. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm looking at things more locally or more community-based, but we this is a time where we really need to be doing that. Because, I mean, really, ultimately, I mean, by and large, stuff that happens in Washington, I mean, really doesn't affect your day-to-day. But, I mean, this is when it really matters, you know. Know you know, hang out with your neighbors, like the people you're with, know the score because these are the people you got who's gonna have your back when the coming revolution comes. Right, and also you know the thing I say is uh, the easiest thing you can do is just be really, really nice to every Somali person you meet. Which yep. sounds silly, but like so many people are gonna go out of their way to be mean to those people yep. that to me just err on the side of just being as just as damn nice as you can be because you got to show them that like not everybody's an asshole. Exactly, especially I mean, if you're a white guy like me, I feel obligated. I know. I I when I was you know like 20, 22, I was just kind of like an ungr- angry young man. This was shit when I was sixteen. I always had a chip on my shoulder. I was probably a dick to everybody, and only when I was old enough to realize that people actually go through shit and they're not just dicks like I'm being mm-hmm. like I have I, I've, I've smiled ever since like it's just yeah. always just like you know what this isn't even a lie by me walking around smiling makes me a better person and you know what and if it makes somebody else comfortable spectacular because I'm not here to fuck with anybody and this is a time where we all as Americans have to do the shit that we were told to do as Americans and not be absolute dick bags at least that's how it's taught to me in, 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 in Indiana I don't know so Brian Miller, thanks again. Uh, good luck tonight at the Joke Joint. Thank uh, you, sir. And do you have any any shows coming up like real soon? Oh, you know, I'm headlining the House of Comedy the night before Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> That's great. So, uh, little right. one off there. You're giving so. me all this like I don't know. Next year I'm doing this, but no, <laughs> okay, great. So Wednesday, 
uh, the 20-something. Whatever the night before Thanksgiving exactly. is. Exactly. Yep. Go to the uh, House of Comedy. See Brian Miller. Um, and, and a good time guaranteed. If it's not, I will buy your ticket off you. I won't. I'll just call you an asshole for not liking the show because I've seen his material. He's good. All right, everybody. Uh, let's uh, have a moment for our sponsors. Uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. Uh, always in the picture and always in good taste. PBR, add extra flair to those leisure time activities. Put original Paps Blue Ribbon in the picture. People of good taste naturally go for its old-time beer flavor. Original Paps, brewed as it was when it won the Blue Ribbon in 1893. So next time, put yourself in the picture. Enjoy original Paps Blue Ribbon. And our friends at Stand Up Records, we like our comedy like we like our booze. Straight up and bitter. Check them out right now at StandUpRecords.com. New albums out all the time. Uh, Mike Stanley, Chicago comic, has a, a new album and special coming out very, very soon. And sooner than later, it will end up on the Stand Up channel, exclusively on Roku, uh, where you can see pretty much every special that Stand Up Records has put out, and even some old episodes of Drinking with Ian, because, you know, it doesn't cost anything to put them there. Most people don't give a shit, but you can go there and watch it and give a shit. And you know what? Maybe you can you can uh, follow me on Twitter and then tag me and go, hey, Dive Bar Mitzvah. You know what? That, those old episodes of Drink With Ian aren't that bad. Stop giving yourself a hard time. And it seems like a lot of people who weren't you put a lot of work into it. So stop being a dick. <laughs> you know, it's 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 you're you're uh, being self-effacing to a degree, and then you're just being an asshole to all the people who helped you out. And that's a good point, imaginary person on Twitter. But yes, please follow us on Twitter. And as always, please, oh please, oh please. You guys ever had a podcast heckled by another comedian? <laughs> Ah, nice, good to see you, sir. You Surprise appearance by Trevor Wade. <laughs> Trevor Wade. Hello, people. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter and uh, please like us and share us to everybody on the iTunes and on the SoundClouds. And if you have a better place where people listen to shit like this, let me know because I don't. So just, yeah, hit me to it. Anyway, thank you again, Brian. Trevor Wade's in the bathroom now, or I thank him too. And thank you to Adrian's Tavern here on Chicago, right by Pepito's. It smells delicious. The beer's priced uh, and ready to move, and they've got Pac-Man. So fuck it. What else do you need? Stop talking to me. Stop listening to this hit stop and then go to Adrian's. Bye, everybody.